I'm making light of this now because I've had 15 years to reflect and go through therapy. I mean, I was suicidal for 12 years. Like the mental health anguish was rough. All right, everyone, welcome to this episode of the Immigrant Doctor Podcast. I have a very, very exciting guest today. His name is John Lane. I won't be doing a much of an introduction. He's primarily been in real estate for the longest time, right? And the reason why I have him on my show is because this guy lost close to $80 million in real estate and is still standing here doing real estate. So I wanted to bring him on to kind of share his journey through his life the lessons that he's learned, and how the heck did he lose $80 million in real estate? So I want to welcome John Lane on my show. Hi, John. Welcome to the show. Hey there, Abhishek. How are you, bud? I'm doing well. I swear, it is the strangest, weirdest way to be introduced as, right? Hey, (laughs) you just lost $80 million. Want to be on my podcast? (laughs) Well, oh. I think I think the important thing is not the fact that he lost eighty million dollars. I think the important fact is that you lost eighty million dollars, and yet you're still here in real uh, estate, and you're still doing deals. So, uh, you know, there's yeah. there's something to that, right? So, uh, it's the it's not about the 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 flaws or the the mistakes that you make. It's about what you learn from them and how you grow beyond them. And I think that's where the the real growth occurs. I I would agree. Um, We were just talking prior to the recording where like two major events in my life, right? I had a golf ball sized brain tumor that was 22 years ago now. And then follow up by I lost an 80, $77 million portfolio in real estate. And that was about 15 years ago. And I've slowly come to the point, the realization that those two events, although tragic, are turning out to be good for me. Like, you know how time heals all wounds? That is accurate. I can can sit here and tell you with confidence that (laughs) that with a little bit of perspective and time to heal, uh, it has actually been a good thing for me to have gone through uh, that well I, I think what, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger right i think that's what the saying says right <laughs> so let's yeah, start from it, the beginning you know like right. what, how did you get involved in real estate uh what really attracted you to this and what were you doing before you started in real estate so i'm gonna start at the very very beginning back in the 80s i think 88 or 87 or 86 i was 16 years old and my parents, my dad was an army officer. We lost our our, our family home in foreclosure, right? Wow. And that, that wrecked our family. Like we were warded June Cleaver. Everybody was happy. Everything was going well. And then we lost the house. And I, I became very angry, like a 16-year-old angst, right? 1980s punk. I was pissed off. And at the banks specifically, like I didn't understand what was happening to me. And all of a sudden we got moving trucks and we're going from this really nice house in suburbs of Seattle to this shitty little double wide in the middle of nowhere. And like, how did that just happen? That's kind of where this whole real estate piece became. I, I was, 
I wanted to learn the system of what happened. And then, so that was 16. I lost my house at 19. I ended up buying my very first house. Um, Interesting. My very first investment property, because like I had to figure out this system of finances and money and yeah. And then, so fast I think, I think that's important because, um, you know, instead of just continuing to blame the system and saying that this is bad, you kind of went into the system deeper to understand what the nuances are so that you could now leverage the system with your understanding of the system to, to your advantage. Oh God. Yeah. I'm a hacker at the core of my being. I want to figure out this system, hack this system and make my life better as a result. That is the core of who I am. So this whole so, so talk of- to me about this. Talk to me about this house that you bought. How did you end up? So what were you doing? I mean, you obviously still need money, right? To buy, and you, your family just went through this foreclosure. So what did you do in those three years to ma- get yourself into a position where you were buying a house? I've been working, working, like actual putting in physical effort since I was eleven or twelve. I started my, <laughs> I started my first business at 11 years old my brother and i had a kool-aid a chain of three kool-aid stands when we were 11 right so i've been that (laughs) i've always been this entrepreneur Uh, i love it you say you had a chain of three kool-aid stands i'm like my dad was a helicopter pilot at the in the army making 800 bucks a month mike and i were making 200 dollars a month back in 1977 selling kool-aid for a dime a piece that's (laughs) that's the origin of who i am right that's the core character of who i am and so i got in long story short i got into a car wreck at 18 and an insurance settlement helped me buy my first house and buy my first business and remember houses back then it was fifty six thousand dollars for that house Right. right. And did you buy it outright or did you have a mortgage on it? I had a mortgage. Yeah. Yep. So uh, how did you get comfortable around the mortgage when, you know, three years prior to that, the bank had just foreclosed on your house? Well, how did you get comfortable with that idea? Right. There are no, there are no other options, right? You don't, you don't have a second. Oh, I don't, I don't have a rich uncle. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you get comfortable with the mortgage because that's the system that the world has. There isn't a, a secondary, but I did. So I went from, I bought that house when I was 19. Long story short, at 31, this is a different house. By that time, I'd, I'd bought a different one. I got a golf ball sized brain tumor and ended up losing a house again in Fort wow. And like, all I wanted to do is cuss at this point. <laughs> uh, it was, yeah, uh, my house, we were valued the house was in the 225 range and we owed like 175 160 and yeah the the way i look at it is the bank stole my house when i was a teenager the bank stole my house when i was 31 and then i built uh, as because i was sick and because i was in a hospital bed i had lots of time to figure because i wanted to was tell the banks to f off I wanted to figure out a way to uh, save my house. I ultimately did not, but I did. I created this 
foreclosure bailout system, right? That never really okay. been done before. I would match investors with other people who were in foreclosure and the investor would, would buy this person's house and then lease it back to them for a period of up to three years while they got financially solvent again. And so we, we promised four different things. Stay in your house, rebuild your financial security, lower your monthly payments, and retain most of your equity. Like we could keep those four promises to somebody who's in foreclosure. And that was amazing. We bailed out close to be somewhere between three and 400 families. Wow. Yeah, it was cool. It was and very I, cool. And I love the fact that you said that you not even once did you talk about, you know, making money in this whole journey that you're talking about. Instead, you're talking about bailing out families because I think at the core of any business, it's about how you serve or how your business serves the community around you rather than the money that you earn. It's it's just a byproduct of, of the service that you're giving to the community. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was because I had this unique, I don't know of any other investor who's ever gone through foreclosure, right? I mean, they don't lose their home as a kid. They don't, I I was on a crusade and there is no, I mean, I was, I, and still am, I'm hell bent on changing the economics of people who are, I don't know, the underdogs. I know that sounds super cheesy, right. but I am, I, that's who I am <laughs> at the core. I like people. I like serving people. I freaking hate banks. How is your family comfortable with this new wacky idea of matching investors with people who are in foreclosure? Weren't they like, just go get a job and, you know, make sure that at least you have a house to live in? But I was sick, right? Okay, so I ended up with this golf ball-sized brain tumor and a million dollars worth of medical care. Like the worst thing you could do is get sick in America because our healthcare system sucks. And and my choice was either die or get rich. And I watched this late night infomercial, Robert Allen, No Money Down, right? The original No Money Down, the original multiple streams of income guy. And uh, yeah, my first transaction was in a hospital bed. I was 25 wow. years old. I, I was literally in the hospital when they closed the, the transaction, but I made 25 grand in six weeks as opposed to selling shoes, which is my former profession. Um, yeah, it was, it was cool. Uh, and then I, so the, my family loved it because we were making money, frankly, hand over fist. The foreclosure bailout system was kind of, I mean, between my partner's this conglomerate of people that I would work with, we amassed almost $56 million in retail wow. in a five-year period. Yeah, it was fast. Well, what made you stop then? I mean, you were pretty successful then. What made you, or pivot to, you know, commercial real estate? So I ended up with a pretty nasty divorce. I have enormously good things to say about my ex. She kept me alive, which is a always pretty helpful happy about but the stress of that time right being sick getting in recovery building a business our we just couldn't couldn't survive it but it kind of pushed me into a different level 
And so once we went through that divorce, the, the economy had gotten better, right? This is 2004, 2005. And I mean, foreclosures were just not happening at the rate that they were in 2000 and 2001. And so I pivoted. I saw an opportunity. To, I, I lived in the Portland area. And so at the time, $200,000 house for sale here, we could sell that, take a $50,000 from the profit of that and then go buy two houses in South Carolina with cash, right? We could buy wow. houses in South Carolina for 20, 25 grand a piece. And wow. Yeah. Have you, have you looked at the demographic, the, the mechanics, the financials of South Carolina? I have, and it's just, it's changing. That's why I'm saying, wow, because right now that's unfreaking believable. <laughs> we were buying houses between five and $25,000. Like wow. it was, it was crazy back then, like 2004, 2005, 2008, we were, we were buying or selling a house a day. Like, wow. Imagine the mechanics of being able to do that. We would go in and buy right. 15 houses at a time. Like, oh, it wow. Was just, it was absurd. And then the, the renovation process and the rehab right. and 2008, 2009 hit. So, what happened then? <laughs> How did you freaking lose $80 million? <laughs> All right. So, here's, here it goes. So, March of 08, everything we got the, I'm going to paint this picture. March of 08, we're buying, we're selling a house a day. Like we've got a system right. in place. We're making, we're making a million dollars a month in, in equity. Right. Right. Everything's going well. And then I'm like, gosh, I don't really like the single family res thing anymore. Cause my ego, like, let's be honest, my ego, that was it. I looked up and there was this 13 story apartment building. I'm like, huh, this is starting in the process of 2000, late 2007, the condo conversion phase was really, really <laughs> popular in the Southeast. Right. So I saw this building and I'm like, I could turn that into a condo. And so I go from this really solid platform of single family res. 30 or 40% equity in everything we had to changing my entire business model and trying to buy this stupid building. It took us nine months to close that transaction. And we ended up, this is the punchline, we financed it through Lehman Brothers, right? And this is March of 08, Lehman Brothers closes in September, right? Wow. I, no one knew at the time that Lehman Brothers was going to close. We thought they were one of the best banks on the planet. And so they give us this $6 million. The purchase price was $3.3. The loan renovation was $6 million. We were supposed to get a million dollars a month in renovation. We're going through the process of moving tenants out and doing the renovation. We fix the roof, got the 200,000 in roof repairs, 300,000. Yeah. And then going through the process of renovation and all of a sudden Lehman stops calling or rather they stop returning calls and September happens and they're closed. Like we're in the middle of a $6 million. We have a 13 story building 
that has no tenants, no doors, and no windows, and a $90,000 a month mortgage. Wow. Yep. Had we chosen any other bank in the country, we probably would have survived it, but we didn't. And it was basically this massive domino of like, we, we took the money and this was, this was the big mistake. We took the money from these other little transactions, trying to support the big transaction. And that was a problem, right? That was because the, the same investors were in on several of the transactions. So we just started taking monies from these other small single family res to prop up the big building and it just wasn't survivable. So yeah, that building was what, $6 million, $8 million. What about the other, other $70 million? Well, that was the single family res. There was 350 single family res, right? So you lost all of it? Oh God. Yeah. All seriously. All. Wow. I sat home one day with, and this is a pitiful story. I don't even like rum, but I was like, I'd take a swig and I'd sign my signature and I'd take a swig and I'd sign. I mean, I, I, oh, wow. I cash for keys with 200 properties in a weekend. I just, it wasn't survivable and I knew it and, and it sucked because like I'm making light of this now because I've had 15 years to reflect and go through therapy. I mean, I was suicidal for 12 years. Like the mental health anguish was rough. I have a, I have a twin brother there. And I mean, you can see how it has aged me compared to Mike, right? I mean, that process damn near killed me many, many times. I wish I had, I ruined the lives and not by per, not on purpose, but Indirectly or directly, I destroyed the lives of 2000 people when that built, when that, when that business failed. Like, yeah. And to have that pressure on your shoulders that, you know, not only your life, but like the lives of others who have invested with you or the people who are actually in those buildings or those houses. It's, uh, I mean, when it, when it, when it went bad, the whole thing went into receivership. It was just my business partners literally scattered to the winds. The people who were managing the building sent me an email in the middle of the night, said we quit, and I've never heard from them since. Like, wow. They're just, the whole thing just erupted. And all of this happened all of a sudden, right? So all of this thing, all of this was happening together to kind of have that compounding effect to get you to a point where you had to like literally sell everything i didn't sell i didn't get or sorry you got foreclosed on yeah let's be really clear there was no the the so i made two really core bad mistakes back to back right you want to let's talk about that i was hyper focused on this 40 mile line between greenville and spartanburg south carolina and the primary employer was the MW, right? They have a million square foot factory uh, in Spartanburg and they closed, right? Uh, this is the, right? I mean, all of this happened at the same time, right? Remember the US government had to bail out Chrysler, or was it Chrysler or GM? Like Ford stock down, went down to 38 cents a share. I mean, the, the it was, yeah, we talked about the housing crisis, but it also impacted the auto industry. Remember cash for cars? 
right? Cash for clunkers that we were buying these piece of crap cars because we wanted to support other people buying new cars. I mean, the whole system, the whole financial system collapsed. And right. because our portfolio was centered in this corridor with Michelin and BMW and I can't remember, was it uh, Ford? All in the same area. That was our entire tenant base. Well, right? and we for were, all your 300-something properties that you had, that was your tenant base? Three, we were 30% economic vacancy. Right? Oh, Wow. People still living in the houses, but can't pay rent and nowhere to move them. Wow. Right? So we couldn't rent them. We couldn't get them. We couldn't evict them. And we couldn't cash. Yeah, like, I want to point out that it's so important uh, what you're talking about, especially when it comes to choosing a market, because I think that's where real estate really starts. Like we'd always talk about choose the right market, you know, what are the what are the right factors in a market. One of the important things is actually knowing that there are different industries that are actually playing in that market that are unrelated. Well, for example, even in in your case, you know, you can say, well, yeah, there are different industries. There's the tire industry from with Michelin, there's there's the car industry, but they're related to each other. Yeah. Right? The, you have to have industries that are completely unrelated. Their businesses are unrelated so that if one industry sees a downturn, there are, you know, uh, hopefully the other industry, now, you know, 2008 was a weird event, right. but, you know, hopefully the other industry will be able to still support you because, you know, people, they're still going to, you know, be there and people are still going to have employment and they're going to still be able to pay their rents. Yeah. We did not have, so problem number one, Location, 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 right? We had this little tiny sliver where our properties were. And I mean, when you amass $80 million in an area that probably only has two or $3 billion worth of properties in it to begin with, that's a big percentage. And, and when that region goes down, you're going down with it. So I, I was not right. diversified in asset class and I was not diversified in location. And those were two huge, oh, and the third, and this is where I always kind of veer off. The third and most important was we were, we were 70% LTV, right? By anybody's metrics, we were in good shape financially. Just for the listeners, 70% LTV means 70% loan to value. So the loan actually was 70% of the total value of the assets owned overall. Yep. And- that didn't save us, right? Because wow. when the market plunged, the market plunged everywhere and the properties went down 30%. All right, guys, if you haven't done already, please go check out my free video series on how to do due diligence on operators and on deals before investing in them. It's called Real Estate RX for Passive Investors and it's available at www.rerxcourse.com.